Coming from the Caveman Studios in Buffalo, New York. Welcome to Caveman Corner with your host, Jeff. Captain Caveman! Thanks. Click subscribe and the bell. Do it now! We're here with Mr. Barnett, the War Master. How are you doing, sir? Doing well. I guess you just wanted someone more Cro-Magnon, brow ridge looking than than either you two, huh? To really solidify this whole caveman aesthetic. By the way, uh, nice Hanna-Barbera, Captain Caveman. Uh, shout out, uh, I should say homage, imitation in the intro. Uh, just the other day, I had to explain who El Cabong was. <laughs> we're getting old, man. We're, we're definitely getting old. These young guys, I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. what any of the good cartoons are. Yeah. Um, I grew up on Captain Caveman, and uh, my jiu-jitsu coach named me that. Like, I had a big nose, and my jiu-jitsu wasn't really all that great. And I didn't have a gas and out problem, but some every now and then I get stuck. He's like, man, you're just like Captain Caveman. And uh, that's how I got the nickname, and it's, it's stuck. It's just, he's always making fun of my big nose. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a plenty of other routes he could have taken that would be less friendly. But uh, if – if he was so insistent on calling you Captain Caveman, then you should have brought a club to practice too. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm definitely bringing clubs to practice. Uh, <laughs> I love your beard. You look really good with the beard. That fully grown in beard looks really good. Yeah, it's uh, I've I've gone with it without it over the past, I don't know, five, uh, six, seven years. But I feel like having the beard is. It's a different look for me, but one that seems to be very familiar to most folks now and uh, really natural. Uh, But also, uh, I kind of see it as an acceptance of my older age, and I'm just embracing it. You look kind of savage, like an old school Viking warrior. Um, And you look (laughs) intellectual, too, at the same time. It's kind of uh, like a crazy look. It's like, just fits you perfect. That's the only one I got. (laughs) I listen to a bunch of podcasts, and uh, you've been on Rogan, you've been on Lex Freeman, and you're super intellectual, but I hear you're launching another beer, and I could not believe how much effort you put into making your bourbon. Like, it's crazy that you are so involved in it. Well, uh, you know, they say if you do what you love, it's like you never work a day in your life. It's a goddamn lie. But uh, (laughs) if anything, you work... You work three times as hard, four times as hard, five times as hard. We could just keep uh, doing orders of magnitude until we get to an acceptable level. But also, uh, sure, I'll take the compliment of of having some aspect of intellectualism to to who I am. But, But then I balance it out, not only by going in the ring and fighting and punching myself in the head, getting punched in the head and punching others in the head, decreasing IQs all around. And uh, then I get into alcohol and spirits, you know, I'm just trying to bring us, (laughs) us all down to uh, an acceptable level of stupid. So we're, I'm around a bunch of fighters all day long. I run a gym and I I fought obviously. And I I told everyone I'm going to have you on. Everybody wants to know where to get your bourbon. So that's all of all the questions to ask you. That's what everyone asked me. Everyone wants to know where, where do we get your uh, bourbon from? Uh, the, the short answer is uh, in California, especially, and in Washington State. We have distribution there, and I believe we have product on the shelves in both. Uh, and 
sign up for the email list at warbringerbourbon.com so that when we do have stuff set aside for uh, direct sales, uh, we'll put out an email blast and you will have the opportunity to order through that system and get yourself a bottle. Usually, uh, we, you, we usually only do it for the single barrel releases because those are the most sought after and those are the, the ones that only come about every now and again. Uh, whereas the standard blend is something that is usually what we have out on shelves as much as possible and constantly updating and restocking with our brick and mortar sales. But the long answer to that is every state has its own regulations and restrictions in regards to bringing and selling alcohol and distributing alcohol in a state. And even with the direct sales, there are states at which direct sales are not allowed at all. I think uh, Mississippi, for one, is one of them, maybe Michigan, too. Um, <clears throat> but don't quote me on that. Go look it up. Uh, <laughs> the other thing about that is once you can get to a state, then you have to find a distributor. And then you also have to have enough product to distribute it. Um, we're a very small distillery. We run off of one still. It just it takes a time, it takes a long time and a lot of effort and a lot of work to get the small amount that we can create. But uh, you know, if, if if we keep going and things are successful, then you know, hopefully we can expand. But uh, distillery equipment, especially um, stills and condensers and all that, are very expensive. Uh, unless you know how to build one yourself, and even then, the materials are still going to cost you a decent amount of money because of the amount of copper involved, the type of stainless that you have to use, which is uh, a particular grade that is acceptable for, it, it's essentially considered food safe. Um, and it's high quality stuff. Um, and then you, of course you gotta be able to weld it and fabricate time and effort. And if you can't do those things, like most of us, cause my welding skills are awful. I can do it, but they're the worst. So there is no way I'm going to be roped into any of this because I would just root, I would just waste everyone's time. Uh, but uh, so then you're going to have to pay someone and that's expensive too. So we're, we're working on trying to get more out there for everyone. That's crazy that how in depth that you are involved in this project. Uh, obviously when you hear about an athlete supporting a project, usually it's just their name attached to it and that you're so into it. It's, it's awesome to see. And it's like, I don't even drink and I'm, I'm interested in it but just because of how you talk. I don't even know the difference between like barley and hops. And I know you got a beer coming now too. Like, mm -hmm. so it's, uh, you want to talk about your beer a little bit and like, how did you well, get so involved into the making of alcohol? Being a drunk. <laughs> Most people I was... they don't get involved in, in like making it. Like that's, that's well, a I mean, kind of person. Uh, what are you just is that a cavalcade of of uh lacroix cans or nope. uh, coke zeros or something knocked nope. over rock stars rock stars yeah he don't drink he destroys his insides in a different way well <laughs> correct. Uh, correct, sir. i just i really like whiskey uh but i also like whiskey as it pertains to traditional craft Right. So while not every not every culture has a tradition of 
spirits in the same way that the Europeans do, and now Americans, with the barreling and aging and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's bled to other places, right? You know, the creation and the way that they do rum. Uh, but but every culture has alcohols. They have spirits of some sort. And there is tradition in that, even if it isn't done in the same fashion. It's something that every person around the world has figured out one way or another to get involved in. And everybody's got their own stuff. I mean, to the point that uh, one one group might call their type of clear uh, neutral spirit, you know, like a vodka, they'll call it vodka in one place and grilka in Ukraine and something else somewhere else. And then you go to shochu and soju, they're basically the same thing, but it depends on your ABVs for them. But they're also essentially vodkas too. All right. But nonetheless, they'll fight you tooth and nail saying they're different and that's okay. But, uh, uh, for me, I just really love the, the whole idea that by getting involved in, in a craft and, a, and even in the hobby side of it, um, and that's convenient to be able to say that alcoholism is a hobby, but that you can trace all these things back uh, to processes and earlier generations and generations and generations, and you can then be a part of all that. Plus, uh, I like spirits in general uh i think there's a lot to them they're they're more than just taking shots or anything of that nature or even building cocktails uh there could be a lot that goes into some of these different spirits and go look into solera cask aging in spain and portugal it's incredible the the ages on some of these barrels or port aging in portugal and spain well i guess that would just be just be spayed. Uh, but then uh, some of that aging processes like Solera is, is used in uh, 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 God damn it, Sherry as well, which is a fortified wine, Portuguese and, and Spanish. It's all kinds of cool stuff. And I've, I've always really liked whiskey. And I really got into it living in Japan. And as I got older and I started looking into more business endeavors and things to be um, busied with for my post-fight career, I really started looking into find, trying to find a distillery I could work with where we could formulate something for me and something that I would be directly involved in because I have no interest in putting my name to something that doesn't live up to it doesn't live up to not just my standards, but it wouldn't be of the quality that I could go out there and face the world and fight for it if somebody even wanted to critique it, right? Uh, I, I want to know it in and out. I want to believe in it, and I want it to be something that if no one liked it but I did, it was good enough for me. That's amazing. Do you think you're going to – is this good enough for you to do as a post-fight career uh, between making the uh, – the, the drinks and coaching is that enough for you is that gonna replace like getting into the cage and getting into the ring mm -hmm. nothing does but um faced with our own uh inevitable mortality and all the deterioration up to that point it's just inevitable so you need to get with it or i don't know uh go mad from something you have no way of controlling uh, or no way of really stopping. Anyhow, you can slow it down. You might get a little gap. I mean, 
I've been dealing with injuries and things for a while, but you know, there's a good possibility I could find another like little peak in, in and amongst these next few years. And, you know, if there's an opportunity to fight, I'll fight, but I don't look at it as something that I'm going to plan the future around. Uh, I have other things that are more worthwhile to my time and efforts and energy. So, you know, I love to train and I don't really intend to ever stop. But, uh, you know, the idea of making my living entirely by being a professional fighter and even at some point as a professional wrestler just won't be available to me. And I could deal with that. Um, I won't, it doesn't mean I like it, but uh, I think that as much as you can acknowledge it when you're younger, the days in which you can really understand what that means come later and, or it could be from a catastrophic injury of something, but you know, and even then sometimes you want to tell someone just cause you, uh, you broke your leg on Chris Weidman's shin doesn't mean that that's, that's the end of you either. Um, you know, you, surgery, maybe you get right back out there, but, uh, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, I don't want to fall into that trap of, trying to chase for something that is so far away that it's out of reach anymore. I want to put my time into other things that I love and I want to build off of what I got from fighting into the rest of my life. And into that with everything that I do with all my students and my friends and family. You're still you signing with Bellator, uh, correct? You got any movies coming out? Uh, no, I'm not with Bellator. No, I don't have, well, actually there may be a movie coming out, uh, with it's it's kind of it's been on the shelf for a bit um but me i was a part of a project with michael j white uh called outlaw johnny black which is an homage to and, and a satire of the black exploitation westerns of the 70s uh like three the hard way and stuff like that uh jim kelly uh, fred williamson and uh uh rest in peace uh just recently, uh, running back for the Cleveland Browns, uh, oh, Jim, Jim Brown. Brown. Jim Brown. Yeah. So um, that actually should be doing some theaters here later in the year. Actually, uh, I should be posting about that at some point because I do have some, I have some propaganda, as we should call it, to <laughs> spread the word. But uh, yeah, uh, September 15th, it'll be in theaters, Outlaw Johnny Black. And uh, also folks that work with Mike on uh, Black Dynamite are on it. And that all started from an idea and us shooting a sizzle on this Western set. Me, his wife, um, Mike, a few other of us. And uh, we put the sizzle reel together, a little trailer. And that got it picked up, developed, and we shot it. Uh, in 2019, I believe. And, you know, it's been getting edited and messed with and different things. And obviously COVID had an impact on that. But yeah, it, that should be coming out. And I was just on uh, a recent episode of I Wish You Would Leave on Netflix. <laughs> but I haven't really been putting the time into the acting stuff. Uh, you know, you, you've only got so much it's not even just time, right? People think that, oh, well, if I if I had an hour to do this and then two hours for that and 30 minutes for this, and sure, you could you could 
I mean, depending on how autistic you are, you could really divvy up your day into really very regimented blocks of time. Uh, but it's not just that. It's also your own internal bandwidth, I would say. Like your ability to stay on one subject well enough or one, one project well enough to deliver what your aim is, what your goal is, and then now go to the next one and then go and do that. And so for an example, if it came to acting, can you really embody the spirit of the moment that you want to portray from that character in a way that you think makes sense in 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 the the entirety of the plot the movie itself as well as you your character and how that is integrated into it so i mean there's plenty of instances where you'll see actors completely just trying to chew up every scene they're in but you look at it and you go your choices are based on your own selfish egotistical bullshit it's really not based on what is necessary for the movie. And so I, you know what, it's, it's funny. And, you know, I'm not a shit talker, really. I'm not for the most part. Uh, I'm a shit responder, but not a talker. Uh, I really, 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 really like Javier Bardem as an actor. I think he's fantastic. Uh, I thought his portrayal as Anton Chigger in No Country for Old Men was brilliant. And I think he's been great in a lot of other stuff. However, he's awful in Dune. He made horrible choices. He has an accent that doesn't belong. And I, I think he completely destroys the ability to be invested and to uh, suspend disbelief in watching this film. There's this richly, beautifully crafted uh, world in which all this takes place. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm talking about the new one, the new Dune by uh, uh, Villeneuve or however, Denis Villeneuve. And, uh, and he comes in with this like 19th century Mexican revolutionary poncho. I said, what the fuck are you doing, dude? You guys are the Bedouin are based on like, uh, or not the Bedouin. They're based on the Bedouin. The, the, uh, the, the, the tribes people, the Fremen are based on the Bedouin, essentially. Bro, that's in the Middle East. What the fuck are you doing? You're doing this because you, as an actor, and your ego think this is amazing. Think this is this is just gonna just be so rich, and you're just no, dude. That sucks. That's awful. You should fucking quit at doing that. Not acting because you're an amazing actor, but that is awful, and you're fucking ruining the movie. And it's also on the actors, on the director's fault because he didn't step in and tell him and reads and pre-reads table reads and all this stuff like don't you fucking do that don't you do that i'm gonna walk out from behind the camera and punch you in the fucking face <laughs> don't you're an incredible actor and you are wasting not only our time and effort you're ruining the, the film itself you're you're completely uh, creating this whole nother realm of existence in 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 this already crafted universe and you're doing yourself a disservice. Like you're an incredible actor. You could you could make a better choice. You know, I I, I personally didn't like Tom Hardy's Bane um, in that uh, 
Dark Knight or whatever it was called. But it wasn't, but I didn't think he was a bad actor. And I, I just, you know, it wasn't for me. He likes that choice, but it wasn't necessarily a bad choice in the film. I, I thought it didn't work for me, but that's fine. I still think uh, it was a fine performance in general by Tom Hardy. Uh, but Bardem and this new Dune, no. So <laughs> tangent aside, when I, what I, you know, I'm not ever, I'm not out here trying to say that I'm as good an actor in any way as Bardem or Hardy. But uh, if I'm going to do something, I need to make sure that I can deliver not just for what I think makes me look good, but for what the project demands and the, the story demands. Because the story is what is supposed to be the point of the movie, not whether or not I'm in it necessarily. Uh, and so with that, if I'm not doing what I think is necessary to be able to deliver that, then I'm not going to go out there and waste people's time and waste my own time. And so you can have all these different endeavors like I do, but if, uh, if it gets to the point where I can't deliver uh, not just a, an acceptable level, but the what is needed, what I think is needed to make it work right, uh, then, then that's just, I'm spread too thin. Is that a hard world for you? You seem like so honest and so upfront and you don't take any bullshit. Is Hollywood like a tough place for you to, is acting tough for you? It seems like you would not fit in with uh, everybody. Else. I mean, look, the whole world is tough for me, brother. Let me just put it that <laughs> way. Like, I don't, I, I feel like we live in a world where uh, there are levels of lying that is totally acceptable and are, are the way taken by most folks most of the time. You know, you could call it excuses mm -hmm. to start at the beginning of it, but everybody always feels like they have an excuse as to why something didn't work or they're always trying to find a way that they could be not held accountable for their failing. And instead of doing that, how about we take extreme accountability? How about we really push to be the best versions of ourselves? as corny as that sounds, but like, let's <laughs> try to be our strongest and not fall prey to our weaknesses. But, you know, we're going to fail. But and when that happens, deal with it, own it, be straight and just move forward. And that's it. Don't do it twice, hopefully. Uh, but at the same time, acting is difficult because it's a completely different kind of system that you have to engage in versus, say, fighting or even coaching or professional professional wrestling and acting do have some overlap, but not quite the same, uh, especially because pro wrestling, uh, as it was intended, uh, well, as it was intended in the modern sense, excuse me, because as it was intended in the pre-modern sense, uh, it was, well, I guess it's technically for being really sticklers. It's, it's always been a modern concept. It's, part of modernity and the cycle of things. And anyways, as pro wrestling was originated, it was more essentially MMA and professional submission wrestling. Uh, but uh, in this day and age, there's a lot of improv or that went with what led up to what we're at now. Although now everything is scripted, so it's completely different, but uh, so there is some overlap there, but improv is not the same as acting. And, and while there is a space for improv and acting, it depends on what the thing is. And also, if you're Will Ferrell, you can go out there and improv your ass off and chew up hours of time on a camera. And 
it's fine. And there's a reason for it because goddamn guy's hilarious, right? He has way more wins than he has misses. And same with uh, John C. Riley. You know, when you stick those two together, generally we expect something good. Sometimes you get Sherlock and Holmes or whatever the hell that movie was called, and you go, oh god, that's tragic. But you know, not everything's a win. Not everything. Sometimes it's a miss. I have losses on my record, so you know it all goes the same direction. But uh, uh, a lot of acting's desire for me, besides just the ability to say, "Hey, what if you were fifth on the list, sixth on the list on, in the credits in some movie that, like Blade Runner, that would be incredible, or some movie like even the, the Last Starfighter." Conan the Barbarian or Last uh, Starfighter is the best movie ever, man. <laughs> I'll there all the time. Uh, uh, if you were in the, uh, I was just watching the uh, Miami Vice pilot. Uh, it's, a, it's a two-parter from 1984. Brilliant, you know. If you could be in some Michael Mann shit, that'd be incredible. But also, it's a challenge. You have to do things differently. You can't just use all the same systems that you have used to find success uh, prior to this, and and that challenge having to problem solve and look for things in a far more subtle way. Uh, I like it. I like it. You can't like act harder and, and expect it to work better. Like it just reps are important. And uh, in fact, reps are incredibly important, but you, you just can't like, well, if I had just a, a bit more, you know, if I could just do it again, it's not, it's not quite like that. You can't force it. Is it? Is it completely different than wrestling? Like wrestling, you get one take and that's pretty much over, right? And now you have to get it perfect when you're doing it in the movie or not perfect, but perfect for you, perfect for the script, perfect for the director. It seems well, like you, get, uh, you can have multiple takes and the more budget on a film, uh, the longer the filming schedules and the more opportunity for that stuff. So I think there's an interview, I think, of... GSP talking about the preparation for the very short scene that he's in as Batroc against Captain America and that big old Marvel film. And it was like, that scene was like, a, it, it took a month to shoot it or, or maybe it was a month off. It was something where you look at it and you go, holy moly. I mean, that much time for 20 seconds, that's it? Uh, when you have a Marvel movie like that, and, and then if, if they ever followed up with him on that very same topic and asked him about that kickboxer movie he was in, you're not going to get that kind of time. You Maybe you would get that time or something approaching that, something having some semblance of it in like a final boss fight at the end of the movie, right? The big hero moment. Uh, you could get a bunch of time for that. And but even then, like uh, when we shot uh, um, Never Back Down, No Surrender in Thailand, 8711 had already done the previs on what the fights were going to look like for the most part. So there was somebody who had already put in weeks in advance, long in advance, and spent weeks creating a fight scene uh, for the movie already. So, you know, that was already taken out of your hands. And I remember getting there and be like, well, I wouldn't have done oh, well, it's locked in. So there's not much you can do. I, I, would, I had freedom in, some, in my stuff, per se. But 
and this one some of the fights for mike in the movie it's like nope they were locked in i'm like oh crap although let me also give it a caveat I love 8711, everything they do. It's just a person, it's just a it's just a personal preference or you know, style opinion. That's what it is. And the funny thing was, uh, an old student and friend of mine, Eric Brown, uh, he was the one doing these previs at 8711. And so in a sense, it's it's also really cool to think that coming full circle, uh, having this guy I used to train and fight out of CSW with me back in the day and work with us and then here he is doing his own thing and and now we're all we're still working together to make cool shit so uh that was really awesome but just to say like being in thailand we, we were there a month but it might you might have a month to shoot one fight scene in a big marvel movie because of the budgets and because of the amount of time that you can get with that money so uh one take in wrestling and fighting and whatever, yeah, one take and that's it, man. That's all you get. That's the only shot. But even then, with multiple takes in, in acting, it's a machine. So it's not just yourself. So on your end, your ability to deliver, if you're doing something physical, like you got to hit your marks, you got to hit things in the right, from the right position so that the camera picks it up just the way it should and the lighting works just the way it should, which also means the people setting up the marks, setting up the cameras, having the proper focus, all that has to, I mean, there's tons of takes you'll go and they're like, oh, out of focus. Oh, didn't get sound. Oh, you know, something. It's like, all right. I felt that was a really good one, but it's crap now. It's gone. It's going on the cutting room floor. Uh, and then the one maybe they keep, you're like, oh, that one felt inferior, but shit, they're moving on. Uh, so on your end, you you can get those multiple takes, but if you can't get there, and especially on a low budget film, there's not going to be any time to help you, especially if you're not number one on the film. If you're not number one, if the film isn't built, completely built and banked on you, sorry, you might just have something bad on camera and that's just it. It ain't, there's no fixing it. Now, not that they want you to look bad per se and they want a bad film, but the time and the budget only allots for so much. So just because you get more more shots at it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to work out in your favor. Because if if you, it ain't your day, it just might not be your day. How it was? Um, how working with Michael J. White is? Uh, is he, I know he's a good uh, traditional martial artist. Um, did you train with him? Mm hmm. Yeah, we've trained together before. I mean, there's plenty of videos out there of us lifting weights together and stuff. But, uh, yeah, we've grappled a little bit. I've helped him on a few things. I've tried to pick his brain as much as I can about some of his approaches uh, on the feet. And, it, honestly, Mike, working with Mike is just like working with family. We have the same birthday. He's the one that pushed me into acting the most. And, uh, you know, doing films with him uh at times almost like doing films for him uh from my perspective not for anything other than you know i feel like i owe my brother to help him out and i love the guy he's amazing his family's amazing he's a great person his family's great and i can't say enough great things about mike and he's a stand-up guy and you know he's 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 like he's like family to me so Whatever he does, uh, if it's small or large, behind the scenes or in front of it, 
behind the camera and in front of it that I'll help them, you know? Cool. That's awesome. There's so much brotherhood and everything you talk about. Um, but it's important, you know, everybody's so for themselves these days, everything is so atomized you know, on the, on, even when you're online, it's like, no, I'm this thing trying to boost myself up all the time. And people spend all this time putting all their efforts into getting that one big take, dunking on someone, doing this, saying something. It's always got to be a big response. It's always got to get viral and so on and so forth. And all right, great. But it's just another example of the great atomization of people individualized to the point of being atomized where there isn't community anymore. And, and what community you find is rare and or particularly, I don't know, I guess you could say, uh, not based on something healthy. So it could be just like a, an echo chamber of, of narcissists trying to dopamine hit each other the whole time. And that's just not healthy. That's not the way people were designed to be. And when you've got what you would consider family and tribe, you, you should back them up. You should have their best interest at heart. And sometimes you're not the main, well, a lot of times, depending on perspective, you ain't the fucking main story, man. You're not. You're not the main character. You're not the main story. You're not the hero of this tale. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. Hell, maybe not most of the time. But, you know, sometimes taking that back seat is what's necessary. You got to be there for someone else. And when, when you are the main character of something, I mean, you're always your own main character, but uh, make sure that when that opportunity arises, that you're capable of stepping up and delivering. You fought pretty much everyone that's ever been in MMA. Like you fought uh, Peter Hizzo, you fought Dan Severn, you fought Randy Couture. You've gone all the way through uh, like every generation of MMA into like today's grappling, you fought bare knuckle boxing and you fought mm -hmm. uh, uh, Gordon Ryan. Have you noticed the same change in fighting or has it been, there's still brotherhood in fighting. It seems like that's starting to go away. At least uh, like everyone that's coming in now, it's hard to get an invite into like being a family. It takes a long time to get guys to really understand that we need to be there for each other. And then everyone's, when it's their turn, they're up, they're up. And then, it's, it's hard to, to teach that now. It feels like it used to always be like that. The, do you see that in your gym? or? Uh, well, um, there was a lot of team camaraderie with people like, say, the Huas Valley Tudo team back in the day and even uh, Brazilian top team. And, you know, it, things don't always go – they don't always last, right? And, and some of that isn't even about someone becomes a jerk and it all falls apart or, or they leave – some of sometimes it really and, and and this can even be applied to those instances where people say, oh, that guy's a you know, he's a piece of shit. He's a jerk because whatever. Oftentimes it's it. I see it as there are these evolutions and people got to break out on their own. And it's just as simple as that. And it wasn't done to be malicious or against you so much as it was for them and their growth. But and, and this is. This is an endeavor that is almost, it's, it's almost entirely centered on the individual and that's fine. But, you know, you get there with a team and there is that aspect of it as well. And it can be tough to get people to disconnect or let's say flip the switch from being so self-centered 
to being more community centered or, or putting that interest into somebody else. I mean, one example could be, you know, people show up to help you prepare for your match. And then after that conclusion of that match, then when it's their turn to go out and compete, you're not there. Right. That That's like a pretty typical one. You know, you go, you do your thing and then you're like, oh, I'm dipping out until I feel like coming back. Like, what about everybody else that was helping you? They got their matches. They got their fights. They got their stuff to do. And uh, now that you got yours, you know, that's unnecessary. Well, then might as well go to the boxing model and pay people to show up. But in MMA, nobody wants to fucking pay for anything. I mean, holy shit, man. I, I took, uh, you know, Stitch Duran was my my hand. He, he taped my hands and did all my cuts. Well, I left the UFC. I'm like, well, I want the best guy in the world to be in my corner with this. And other former U- UFC guys, guys from the States, they'd end up with me on a card in Japan. They're like, oh, hey, will he do my hands? And I'm like, if you pay him. <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> okay, then. Don't. Do your own. Do it your own way. But... I see that it's con- if it was convenient that you could get something for free off of what I've paid for, then okay, great. But if it should cost you something for this man's time and experience and the fact that I paid to bring him over, nah, no, no bueno. To ensure your money makers or to make sure that if you get lit up and you get cut, you can continue on in the fight. Nope. And you know, maybe that winning bonus is like. 10 grand, 20 grand, 50 grand, keep going. It's not worth them to pay a little bit of money to protect that potentially. Priorities, my man. But uh, at the same time, uh, I think that there is still plenty of camaraderie to be found in combat sports. But there is also, I would say there's more gimme gimme look at me individual uh overall kind of stuff where everybody else has to be put to the side for themselves you know it doesn't matter who they step over uh but it's you know at the same time it's also difficult to really hold too much of a grudge and to to determine where that line should be which you 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 can cross it or you can get right up to it and then once you've got where, where going over it would be the problem and where that line would would uh, would lie. And that's because we're fighting. This isn't the best friends fucking championship. This is smash people's teeth down their throat and make money <laughs> off of their misery. It's, uh, you know, go into the cage and go, OK, this motherfucker's here because he thinks he can beat my ass. That is inherent in every time that you have an opponent when they put their signature to that line uh, uh, on the contract it's because oh yeah i can win i can beat you i can take from you i can kick your ass i can leave you on the floor and and walk with my hands raised in glory over you (laughs) okay let's go you know doesn't have to be personal but i'm gonna fucking kill you and if not okay you're gonna remember it anyways uh with that in mind, you would expect people to think in that nature in some sentiment, some aspect, not to mention the hyping of the fight itself. Uh, but I think people have now confused uh, faux 
and dishonest egotism and egocentric, obnoxious histrionics for being a high level sportsman. And it's just, it's just selfish behavior to the point of, uh, to an extreme, to an extreme uh, level. That's all it is, but it's increased. It's always been there. Go look at some of the old boxing stuff. Hell, I mean, if you want to really kind of put a pin on who has some of the most responsibility for it, it's Ali and we love Ali, but Ali, he started playing with fire, talking a lot of shit all the time. Now, we also understand that Ali was uh, friends with almost everybody he fought to a degree, if not if not before, but after. But even still, you know, uh, it made for fights. But, you know, just because Ali could do it doesn't mean you can. I mean, the guy was just walking charisma. And when you do uh, that, or even if you do it in a more aggressive uh kind of um how, how would you put it like uh a more aggressive and disrespectful way then you go floyd mayweather which is great for attention but it's dangerous because if you ever should lose you know everything you built could be gone um uh, which you know but it, but when you're winning oh man getting people to hate you and getting people to love you are the same thing they both they're caring. If they don't care, you're in trouble. That's when you're not going to go. And that's when you're, that's when your career is dead in the water. And so Floyd getting people to hate him, maybe even more than people love him, uh, still gets people to care. It's just that they care for a different reason. But if that reason should ever be fulfilled, it's all gone. Uh, whereas if they do it because they love you, even with uh, any sort of missteps, and difficulties and tribulations they'll still be there you know you would figure uh but you know floyd never tasted defeat so it all worked in his favor <laughs> and now i guess to fight youtubers like that's that's the way to get it i guess i mean like he's making lots of money to beat up guys that probably never mm -hmm. didn't even be able to touch him it's, so it's a good well, racket if you can get it it's true i mean but he gets in the ring if someone lands that punch and knocks him out it, it it all goes downhill, right? You know, I mean, it becomes, yeah. he was the guy, if he had gotten knocked out by one of the Paul brothers, oh, God. I mean, look, I would have been really upset about it as well. Like, there's no way that should be happening. And uh, I'm not like the biggest Floyd Mayweather fan, but I am a fan and I love his boxing. He's incredible. And uh, his whole family are, uh, I don't know, you could call them boxing autists almost. Like, they can tell you probably things that, you might maybe everything you want to know about boxing and things you had no idea that you wanted to know. Like they really are walking, talking encyclopedias of boxing in such a way that you just go, okay, all right, there's genius here. It may be pointed in a particular direction, but it is genius and, and it's undeniable. Uh, but uh, uh, I also see it as Floyd's in a way, like he's putting money in other people's mouths, right? Like you, you think anybody made more money than Floyd did on any of these things? No, but you know, Connor never never made as much money in a fight, even close, uh, as he did in fighting Floyd, which is what has prompted a lot of these fighters, like Nganu, let's say, to want to go out into the world of boxing and ply their trade. And it's not necessarily because boxing is more popular, because I don't think it is. It's because the fighters are able to to 
incentivize or to exploit their 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 themselves in 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 the arena to get money off of uh, other venues of of revenue stream so pay-per-view is better for the boxing side uh, you can get money off of tickets sold you can get a percentage of food and bev potentially and merch on the event it's just like there's just way more opportunity to um to get the money from all these different things and it adds up and then let's say you're the promoter and the fighter like a floyd or a uh de la hoya then you're getting the promoter cut you're getting the cut as a fighter and all this of course at the same time if you then take on promoter duties that means you're up fronting money too this is why the promoter no matter how much we can we can love a promotion for the way that they pay out and the way that they incentivize uh, uh, w ways to to garner revenue off of the off of the events and the fights themselves uh, for a fighter or as much as we could hate a promoter at the end of the day the promoter in my opinion should generally get the largest cut because they put the most up at risk in terms of the financial and business side of things uh, i know from the fighting side you know nothing <laughs> in my mind is really going to truly compete with the fact that i go and put my body on the line and my life on the line to go out and fight and so does my opponent but that's not the world we live in and it never has been um i mean maybe th th there there's veneration in the older days and in, in, in a particular way but we don't live in those days anymore we live in these days and we're not to compare, say, to an earlier era where you might may, maybe, you know, you would be given some sort of form of valuables of that time and place. We live in this era. We live in the modern or postmodern era, however you want to say, see it. And we have all these things in place and gas bills need to be paid electric bills need to be paid seats need to be rented arenas need to be rented uh there needs to be a place there needs to be a way to to broadcast it like so all the money that could have been available let's put it this way if you want to fight for a cow uh, a goat and some trinkets and baubles and a few things like that and the fact that you know maybe you get to fuck the hottest chick in the village great we could still do that easily <laughs> but if you want to be some sort of multi multi-millionaire with t-shirts and tennis shoes and commemorative dildos and whatever right <laughs> fuck you're gonna have to work in this system and the thing is your people are upset about what they're not getting out of that not what they're not getting out of being seen as the world's greatest fighter or the victor you know and i'm not i'm not saying that that that, that, that people shouldn't complain no I, i'm one of them but I just think we need to keep some perspective as, uh, in the forefront of our mind as we talk about these things. You put on pro wrestling events. Does that compare to MMA? I'm not sure. I've been involved with setting up an amateur MMA event. I know how much it is, how much it costs, like how hard it is to do. I can't even imagine what UFC goes through. Uh, how hard is pro wrestling? It, it can be. You know, it's hard in its own ways. There, there's a lot of overlap. And... Uh, <laughs> Yes, exactly. Are we going to go through these chats at the end of the show, at least? <laughs> we can. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just what I'm used to with the the whole like uh, chats come in or super chats. People pay for them, and then at the end, you, you go over them. Uh, anyways, uh, I don't want to get off topic, but yeah, it can uh, it can be difficult because you know just arranging a venue 
and enough production necessities to make it look and feel the way you want it to, uh, having enough seating, having food and drink there, if that's possible, and maybe any permits you might need to fill out for that. And if you, if you intend on streaming it and broadcasting it, you know, as soon as you want to put it out there in the rest of the world, if it needs to be filmed, well, that changes everything. You know, what you could do if it was live only uh, with no no filming, no maybe just besides you know people, what they want to put on their phones at this point, uh, but you're not going to produce, edit, and package a product to be sold to the world yeah, it makes it a lot easier, but then your ability to monetize it is greatly reduced. Plus, yeah, I think it's cool to build something and have have something in the world where if someone goes, what, you weren't at it? Well, if you weren't there, man, I just don't know what to tell you. There's no way to, you're never going to see it because it was just one of those things. That's pretty dope, you know. Uh, I love shit like that, but I also love, having money in my bank account to do other <laughs> things like make beer and so on and so forth. And also, you know what, that money that goes into my bank account, this is another thing that's not even considered, especially from the pro wrestling side of things, indie wrestling, I should say, especially the more money I make, the more money I can pay to my wrestlers, you know, but everybody always assumes it's just because the promotion gets bigger. That just means that the people at the top of the promotion is going to be greedy fucking pricks but that's not always the case um and i'm not saying that that doesn't happen more often than it should because it does but uh i'm the type of person that wants to incentivize people to do more to strive to to give more to to be at feel more secure enough to go out there and, and give even that much extra put that much more into it and as an indie wrestling promoter it's tough to be able to ensure that you can have repeat talent because at any point they could be sucked up by WWE or AEW now, maybe New Japan Pro Wrestling, although I have a good relationship with them. Yeah. Uh, so I have the opportunity to, to continue to use people, but then now, even in that scenario, you have to work within the confines of that contract and that promoter who's going to take precedent over you. So if you have enough, if you can build a big enough show with enough budget, then yeah, you could probably say, all right, well, we'll put you down for a multi-deal contract. So we'll, we'll continue to bring you back and you'll give you like a favored nation status. So some other indie show comes around, you, you will say, no, nah, I'm not doing that one because I have this already here. And you know that when you get there, you're getting paid, you're getting taken care of, and you're doing something you love somewhere you love to do it. And But that, that takes money because you got to build that security into the athlete. And you got to be able to uh, have that money to secure the shows in advance too, which that all takes uh, building a coffer to do that. That's definitely difficult. Do you have to deal with any kind of commissions or can you pretty much do whatever you want once you run the building? No, we, well, it depends state by state. Uh, in California, I don't think we have any commissions that we have to deal with, but New York, you do. Uh, now, if it was MMA, yes, we have commissions. Uh, we have an amateur commission called CAMO. Uh, and then we have the new, the, uh, I almost said New York State Athletic Commission. No, we don't have that. Uh, we have the California, California State Athletic Commission. And of course, there are particular fees that go into uh, putting on events either way. And some of these fees, uh, I fully back like uh, creating bonds for the event 
that's to make sure everybody gets fucking paid. Because trust me, there have been times where I have been ripped off in my career and it sucks. And there are people that still owe me substantial sums of money. And, uh, you know, uh, my hands are tied as to what I can do about it, unfortunately. But uh, gotta go choke them. <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> I got a guy that takes care of bodies. We're all set. <laughs> you're, so, you're so far away. <laughs> <laughs> He'll drive, man. He's uh, he's on injury reserve. Hurt his knee. He's got nothing but time. <laughs> hey, Josh, what do you think about this uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu versus cash rush, cash wrestling thing that you see in social media? I think it's in social media only <laughs> because uh, this is the reality of it. One. A lot of people that call themselves catch wrestlers and all that don't compete. They sit on their asses and they don't do shit. Number two, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu just keeps assimilating catch into so much of its stuff and then just stealing it and calling it Jiu-Jitsu. So, I mean, that's really the reality of the landscape right now. Uh, it's uh, it's really funny to see where and you know people say it's oh it's the evolution of Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, I guess so, but it's also the evolution of you coming around to other arts, stealing their concepts and going, oh, it's ours now. Like, the fuck it was, but okay. You know, I mean, I guess when you're, well, you're number one, which they are, then it's hard to really make much of an argument because all their fanboys are just gonna fucking deny anyways. They don't care. They, they get to win at the end of the day. So why, why bother to be truthful about it? I mean, look, I, uh, one of my biggest pet peeves that I see these days is that you go around on, you look on social media, especially Instagram, and people are just fucking renaming moves constantly, calling shit things. That, it's like just because the move is is new to you doesn't mean that that move is brand new. That you invented it. Come on, get off your get over yourself. And I think it's to the point that a lot of times these days, people know it's not new to them, but they want to make themselves stand out, so they start trying to rename shit all the time and so it's they can try and get some sort of notoriety out of it it's like it's pathetic how about just go out there and just win all the time and if you win all the time maybe with a particular move then maybe you can name it in terms of uh as an homage to the fact that you're the one who uses it so much while in catch we call it a double wrist lock and jujitsu they call it the kimura kimura has in my opinion, a valid nomenclature behind it because of Masahiko Kimura. Works for me. So, um, but I am not a jiu-jitsu guy. So it's a double wrist lock. We uh, we stole everything anyway. I'm a jiu-jitsu guy and uh, we stole judo and we named it jiu-jitsu. Like we're, that's what we Well, do. sort of. Uh, actually, well, uh, Maeda, Mitsuo Maeda was down there doing professional wrestling. That's how he ended up in Brazil. Count Coma. Why would Mitsuo Maeda go wandering around the world, let alone fucking Brazil and South America, and call himself Conde Coma? Why would he do that? Unless he didn't. And the Gracie that ran the fucking carnival did. Because he was holding pro wrestling matches. But you know what those would be? Catch wrestling matches. So the whole reason Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu exists at all is because of professional wrestling and catch wrestling. It wouldn't it wouldn't even be a thing if it weren't for that. 
Mm. I'm sad now. You stole my my whole life journey of jujitsu. <laughs> or or create or or in a way it was created. It was it was capable of existing because the inspiration from this then stirred on this Gracie patriarch to go, hey, you know, this is a pretty warm, cool place. Chicks got great asses. You know, acai and and uh, uh, mate. So and churrascarias. So how about you stay and you start training my kids and your martial arts, which would be catch and ju old Japanese jiu-jitsu and judo and judo being a derivative of the old jiu-jitsu in the first place. It's a sportified version as created by Jigoro Kano to make it safer so that it could be a, a sporting uh, event, a combat sport instead of you know, just strictly uh, military discipline or like a fight to the death or something of that nature, just self-defense. Uh, and from that, boom, you know, the, the Gracies were inspired. And, and even from them, it's not all called Gracie Jiu-Jitsu anymore, like it was in 1992 or three when the first UFC came out. Now we have Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is a more generalized nomenclature because lots of people are doing it who are not carrying the surname of Gracie. And there we go, more and more and more people on the mats and uh, more acai, <laughs> I guess as well. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't call it tragic in any way that pro wrestling respond Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, I think Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a way to get people back to what we used to kind of do all the time anyways, which is good. I like it. I like that we're, we're, we're all in community now. And uh, the building of the match between you and Gordon Ryan was like catch wrestling, pro wrestling versus Jiu-Jitsu. And like, I'm, well, I'm remember it was part of quintet and, yeah. you know, so, and it's a match that came together potentially because it wasn't set in stone it was just it could happen uh on like a week and a half notice <laughs> so uh, if you think that i was in california training with anyone like gordon ryan then <laughs> no no uh if anything it's uh it's a huge disappointment because you know getting the chance to get on the mat with the guy who is the best and for not having any capability of training to prepare for anything like that. And then being like, well, all right, that's it. You're old. That was your shot. Never going to happen again. Sucks. Were you in good enough shape to tell how good he was? Does he feel like uh, much better than everyone else? No, he doesn't. I wouldn't say he feels like that much better than everyone else. I could just, I could just tell that like he's on his game. This is all he does. This is what he does day in and day out. Uh, especially at the time, he just trains with the best guys every day in the world that, that, or some of the best guys anyways. And he just focuses on being the best Brazilian, well, the jiu-jitsu, I wouldn't even call him Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's kind of his own thing at this point. And, and that's another thing we have to consider is that all these different, and even for the Brazilians back in the day, not every Brazilian jiu-jitsu stylist wrestles the same way. They just don't because it's all dependent on the person who is the head of your school. And then from the particular athletes from those schools, right? So uh, Gordon felt like someone who, he's just on it all the time. Uh, he wasn't exceedingly strong or anything, but he was very good in his positioning. And you, you, you know, he, he 
there's those windows at which you can make something work and which you can't, or which that moment has passed. And the better you get, um, or the, or I should say, the higher the competition level, the smaller and smaller in those windows become. And you could tell on the map that Gordon was someone who was training at such a high level and on such a regular basis and competing at such a regular basis that he's like hitting those those little tiny gaps, those tiny windows right on all the time, right? Or very close to them. And that's just what comes from that kind of training environment. And also just from someone who's that good. I think he, you know, he has a, a mind really built to try and break this stuff down for himself. Uh, I do like listening to the way he describes um, going through a particular move sequence and, and why it should work and where the defenses are coming and so on and so forth. Yeah, it sounds like he very got a good mind towards really orienting himself to fully understanding exactly what's needed to make those things work. Do you think you would have ever been able to beat him? It seems like... Oh, absolutely. Fuck yeah, I could have. <laughs> uh, uh, with the right... Of, I mean, look, uh, maybe a couple years earlier, and if I had like a, a proper training scenario, fuck yeah, I would have beat him. But every time? Hmm, don't know. Uh, would have been a battle every single time. Yeah, it would have been tough. I mean, there's no givens, but uh, yeah, I have no doubt I would have been able to beat him. It seems like you have to like stop like doing pro wrestling and stop fighting and just concentrate on, yes. Yes, on grappling course. to do that. Would yes. you have ever been able to take the time to do that? I mean, you've seen... You, got, like, you know, that's the thing. Probably, probably no. Water. Probably not. Uh, even if I cut away everything, but getting down to the, the nuts and bolts of just fighting, honestly... Going out there and doing sub-only grappling or points, it, I'm sorry, but it, it doesn't allure to me as having even remotely the same level of uh, significance as going out there and fighting. It just don't. And, you know, if we have both taken a break, even on that very night with the amount of training, with the way my training scenario was set up even at the time, and then we came back around an hour later and then we did an MMA fight, I would have fucking sent his teeth all over the mat, right? It wouldn't have even been close. But that's not because Gordon Ryan sucks. It's because yeah. he's spending all his time training in a very specific environment and making himself the absolute best at it. And I, I believe he is. But I also really respect the fact that you know, at a certain point in time, he's putting a ton of effort into trying to become a better wrestler. And you watch him when he did that Nogi Worlds, he's trying to take everybody down. And you know what? Oftentimes his wrestling is, yeah, but fuck it, man. You know, it it was non-existent. And then this guy's putting the fucking reps in. And then he's going out there and trying to execute. So, you know, I only have any in, in regards to stuff like that, I've only got praise. And like, I, I dig it. And I think that's, I, I, I'm, you know, I fucking, I'm fully on board and I support that kind of behavior, that kind of attitude towards things. So, you know, and most of the time he didn't need to know how to wrestle. The only, re the only place he really needed to know how to wrestle arguably would have been ADCC. Everything else that you get away with not having to wrestle 
a bit, which is why wrestling is dismal generally in BJJ and BJJ competitions because there's no incentive for it. Like you would probably be better spent working on, you know, stuff from guard because you can score so much easier from there and score advantages from those positions. And you would have to assume it's because that's the way they want it to be. And, you know, that's just that's just the way the sport is. They're tired of wrestling guys coming in and smashing everybody. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe I, I have been told that the that the insistence on why you have to register your black belt and you have to have your academy registered and all that kind of certification around it is called the Josh Barnett rule because it came in the year after I won PJJ Worlds because uh, I showed up after registration uh, because I hit the, the promoter up directly uh, because I had a thing with these athletes I was working with. And I'm like, this one of them, I said, look, dude, you got to get on the mat. He's one of my best friends. I said, you do all this fucking training. You're a brown belt. You know what? You can't do you – you can't go out there and compete for real forever in life. You have a small time at which you can do that, and then you can keep training for forever. But you, you can't go out and, and go and, say, do worlds, some shit, right, compete at the highest levels. And he just goes, I'll do it if you do it. And I'm like, you fucking bastard. <laughs> so I was in Japan, pro wrestling, called home dude up, got me in the tournament, and – uh, you know, I pro wrestled on a Wednesday, flew back, um, kicked, I think I lifted weights on Thursday, like, so, no, I got back on a Thursday, lifted weights on Friday, no, no, lifted weights on Thursday, did seven rounds of kickboxing on Saturday, and then competed in Worlds on Sunday, after coming back from Japan and pro wrestling in IGF, and I won, but, uh, you know, I get there, and they're like, He's not a fucking black belt. It's like, but I'll com- I put him on the mat with me. We'll see how it goes. And I won. And after that, it was like, no, 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 no. We're not just letting some fucking goofball come in here with no BJJ. So you, you got to now register it all and so on and so forth. But uh, it also is <laughs> it's quite expensive. So it's uh, it's more money towards the IBJJF as well. It is crazy. It's so much money. I, I understand that. I still remember the Wicked Scarf Holy Cop Dean Lister, and that was sick. Everyone likes your, your <laughs> top team. Is I, tough. Yeah, I, I'm glad to popularize the head and arm ride. Uh, it's, a, it's a great ride with lots of really great finishes. And if you're good at it, just the ride itself, you don't even really have to have uh, – um, I mean, your finishes there don't even have to be, like, the best in the world. If you can ride – if you can stick to them like uh, <laughs> uh, like a piece of tape on the bottom of someone's shoe, man, it, it just brutalizes them. You being there it is the worst place to be in wrestling. Stuck in a head and arm ride or someone just ass off the mat, putting their weight through you, just fucking kills you. And uh, I'm glad that it's now become more popularized because for the longest time, especially again, it's, it's not the fucking bitch about jujitsu podcast. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> BJJ guys would piss and moan and just say, Oh, that position doesn't work. They would just, they were just so they refused to acknowledge anything about it. And what's so crazy is the earlier guys from BJJ used that position used it well because they had a different approach. I mean, it's also like, I'll, I'll talk to folks and go, you know, the original Gracie's and the Fadas and all them, they threw everyone. 
they threw him, tripped him. Like they used, take, they took everyone down, then got on top, got in mount, armbar, mount, choke. You know, that's the way it was. It was all, it was very top game specific, and they were always looking to land and get on top. Okay, things changed. A lot easier when a fight on top than getting smushed on the bottom. Like making yeah. a fight changes it. And it was a fight back then. It wasn't just jujitsu. Mm-hmm. There wasn't rules that protected you. Right. Yeah. And uh, they just had different approaches as to where they were going to put their efforts. But then over time, uh, I think it just got to the point that no one was really teaching that position worth a shit anymore. And, uh, you know, the energy was invested in some other ways. Then it gets to the point where someone tries it and then people escape and take the back. So now everybody, now so many people in jiu-jitsu think, oh, this is this bad, never go there. And I've heard that. I heard that in the beginning uh, was like, oh, that position doesn't work. Never go there. That's for rookies. That's for, you know, people that don't know anything. It's like just because you suck at it and can't do it doesn't mean it, it sucks. You know, it's. It's not the same. Those are not equivalent things. And by me going out there and using it against Dean as a finish, I didn't even really, you know, I had to ride to get the finish, but it was mostly just to hit the finish. Uh, People are using it in BJJ competitions and submission wrestling competitions and such and fucking making people, you know, choke on their own tongue, so to speak. I got another question that just came in from uh, Robert Gonzalez. He's, uh, do you still go to Japan and are you still recognized from your pride days? And yeah, my last answer. <laughs> yeah, I of course. I go, I go there all the time still, as much as I can. Uh, I'm still recognized quite well and it's a, it's a very good, it's a good market for me. Um, I'm headed back September 3rd to compete against Masakatsu Fanaki. Uh, the, I think he, he, I think he's a second maybe third king of pancras i'm trying to remember which he's a two-time king of pancras and i am still technically the 10th king of pancras so we'll be going in the ring against each other at pro wrestling noah in osaka at uh edeon arena in september 3rd Uh, and that will be available on streaming on wrestle universe so i'm gonna meet funaki face to face and uh, lock up with him for the first time on uh, September 3rd this year. But last year, um, in uh, December 28th, they had an event called Ganrujima in Okibambae. And it was a end-of-the-year event. Uh, Ganrujima has been around. It's a mixed martial arts promotion that is very much in the idea of mixed martial arts. It's got a, a very unique uh, rule set that allows you to win by ring outs by shoving someone off of a circular platform. And if you could do it three times in one round, the match is over. Um, it's it's a really entertaining show. It's really fucking fun to watch. But uh, they did, they, Ganrujima and Inoki, the Inoki office team together, do an end of the year event that was a commemorative for the passing of Antonio Inoki. And so I, I had to be on it as one of uh, Inoki's boys. Uh, he was a mentor of mine and brought me into professional wrestling and helped me along the way and is really instrumental in who I am, not just as a professional wrestler, but as a fighter as well. And uh, I take my time training under and being able to have conversations with Anoki uh, very to heart. And I went and 
fought in the event and won. And it was nice to be back in the ring and also to be back in Japan since I hadn't been there uh, since 2020 or 19. It was uh, Victor Henry's last fight in Ryzen. And we got there in February, I think, of 2020. That may have been it. And the pandemic then kicked off and there was no going back there for a while. And uh, it was really nice to be back on what I felt was home turf. That's awesome. I'm so glad like the pandemic didn't shut everything down everywhere for good. I was so worried that a lot of these organizations would go out of business. It's, um, it was a really tough time for everybody. And I'm, I'm glad you're yeah, able to go back now. It was awful. And I'm not looking forward to anything like that in my lifetime. But no thanks. Did you guys have snitches down by you? Like we like we had gyms, but people would snitch on us and the police. It nope. was like <laughs> we didn't, uh, I mean, I'm sure they existed, but not something that came uh, came across our doorstep. That's good. So you, you hopefully you guys were able to uh, keep everything open and underground and, and going on like uh, like we all tried to too. We did a good job of keeping things moving, and honestly, we didn't have any outbreaks in the gym whatsoever. We uh. We just kept the policy of if you're feeling a little under the weather, just don't show up and get tested if you need to. Uh, and if you're sick, stay out. And when you you can come back in the gym after you've taken, uh, if you come to the gym, come to the door, take a rapid test. You test negative, you can come back in. So we found ways to get rapid tests so that we'd had them on hand in larger quantities. And um, we just wanted to make sure that we could keep the the, uh, the afflicted away from the healthy and just keep going. And as people recover, let them back in the gym. And, you know, we did see a variety of different things in terms of after effects, but I think for the most part, all of them seem to have straightened themselves out and no, no lasting issues. That's good. I know a couple of UFC guys seem like they got really messed up by it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, I mean, a few people did get hammered pretty hard, but it seemed like over time they were able to uh, eventually uh, come back to full strength. But, I mean, the, the virus itself, you know, you didn't really know exactly how it was going to go. You might not have a single symptom whatsoever, and it just goes right on through like a fart in the wind, right? Or it's, uh, you know, completely wrecks you. And gives you a nasty pneumonia and whatever. I mean, it was it was just such a broad spectrum of how it could turn out. Uh, just never were exactly, and it, it didn't matter vaccinated or not. It, it whether you would suffer particularly bad or not at all. So it was hard to tell. Yeah, it seemed like the vaccine was a giant waste. It turns out it may be more dangerous than uh, than it helped. At time I, is what's yeah. necessary to find yeah. out about. Not just this vaccine, but you know anything uh, is really judged by its efficacy over time. And uh, you know it's always nice when if something comes in and it's very promising to begin with, but you'll only know after having enough time to see what goes through. And you know obviously that's the most difficult thing to get a hold of is more time. So uh, well, we will find out. Uh, Carlton and Brock, what's been your favorite matchup at Josh Barnett's Bloodsport? Mm. Well, I hate to say wrestling Minoru Suzuki for myself because <laughs> you know it's my show and me. Uh, other than that, um, 
Chris Dickinson versus Minoru Suzuki both times were really fucking great matches. Um, I was incredibly impressed with uh, uh, John Morrison versus Royce Isaacs last time around. Uh, there's been quite a few of them. Um, Davy Boy Smith Jr. versus John Moxley is a killer one. God, it was a great match. Um, it's hard to just pick one. And I've got too much invested in everybody. But uh, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe maybe one is just around the corner. Those questions always trying to throw Moller under the bus. Those are like very difficult to answer. The answer is like, every yeah. fight is the best. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Come see my shows. Well, and you can watch those on uh, Fight TV. Oh, they're on Fight TV? Yep. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. What's my opinion on the Joe Rogan, Peter, Dr. Peter Hotez shit going? It's just that. It's shit. Hotez, <laughs> you know, he it's, you know, he, he, he stands in his camp and RFK Jr. stands in his. So RFK Jr., he, to my understanding, and don't take this as the last word, at least this, you know, this aspect of it anyways, he's... I don't know that he's against vaccines entirely or if he's just a vaccine skeptic, but um, either way, he has a lot of disparaging things to say about the vaccination protocols, the industry itself and, and, and everything that goes with it. And Hotez is like a dyed in the wool all the way to the bone vaccine supporter, lover, I'm not sure how you would, I mean, he's very, 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 very like he is, he is all about the system uh, and the vaccination programs and everything as they do exist. And of course, then you have them uh, well, both uh, in, in a more, um, uh, God, what is the word I'm looking for in a more uh, uh, um, current sense, uh, fighting about the COVID vaccines. And RFK Jr. is very much in the, no, they're, they don't work. They were harmful. And, you know, he's very much anti those. And Hotez is very much pro those vaccines. So, okay. Um, you know, RFK Jr. went on Ho Hogan. <laughs> Joe, Joe Hogan. Joe Hogan. Yeah, <laughs> he went on Rogan. Yeah, too much Hanato uh, Laranja for me. Uh, he, went on, he went on Rogan and he, he, he you know, he said I had a lot to say. And then Hotez, I believe, came out and was very disparaging about the whole thing. And Joe just said, look, I'll give you 100K to the charity of your choice to come on and debate him. Then from that, it turned into a whole shit show where Hotez is now chucking at homonyms and insults at, at Rogan, essentially, uh, as a way to say he didn't need to. Uh, Rogan calls him on it. Uh, cause yeah, Hotez says like a hundred grand, that's just what you spend on your little hunting on your, with your hunting buddies and your little hunting tree. It's just dismissive and patronizing. It's just shitty. And you're like, Whoa, dude. I mean, what the fuck? The guy didn't say anything bad about you. He, he gave you an op. He, he put his money where his mouth is. Right. And, uh, and, and not for or against anyone in particular, but for the people that come out for Hotez and RFK Jr. to come out there and debate their positions. Uh, so you know, he does that. He makes this shitty shit talking kind of essentially tweet, deletes it. Joe sees it, says, oh, yeah, I saw you deleted that. And he goes, well, 
you know, I felt like it wasn't the right approach, says Hotez, and uh, that wasn't what I should be doing, and I should be more professional and courteous about these sort of things. He also was had put in there, he basically moved the goalposts about 100K, that ain't shit, and, you know, 25 million or some, some crazy number, right, because that's what's needed to to put money into vaccination this or health that like it's you know i don't even he's probably even talking about like third world health stuff he's not even probably even i i would imagine i wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't he's not talking about uh health in regards to americans right you know but in any case and rogan goes oh no no yeah well, well how about this one and he sees another tweet where otez is calling him a neo-fascist it's, oh god you know i mean it's like Fuck. I mean, everything, this Hotez guy just seems, I mean, he just seems disingenuous as a person. It's not even about, at this point, what the positions are on vaccines and the data and for and against and which specific vaccines and which vaccine schedules and all of that, right? It's that he seems like a spineless little fucking dipshit who loves being a part of the strength of being on the side of the narrative and the regime that's accept, uh, the, the accepted narratives and the regime that institutes them so that he can sit there and he can, he, you know, he can, he can act in ways in which he doesn't have to have accountability and he can treat people and dismiss them in ways uh, because he won't suffer anything for it because he's with the, you know, the, uh, the accepted hegemony at the moment and so which isn't about whether or not that hegemony is right or wrong it's not even getting into that argument it's just that because he's on that side he gets to get away with whatever he wants and you could say the same for joe in in, in a sense that you know he could say something ridiculous and his fan base will will absolutely go to bat for him but that's not even really what we're talking about here uh we're trying to talk or I should say we, I'm not a part of this. The conversation is about something in regards to data and uh, science, right? And science is about uh, a a particular process, uh, non-falsifiable, and to figure things out beyond a shadow of a doubt or beyond the best shadow of a doubt we can now until better resources, better um, systems and testing and things arrive at which we could get a better, clearer result. Like it, science, to so to speak, is never truly settled, essentially. Um, with that, uh, I think Hotez has no real interest in debating anyone. And I think he can just defame and move the goalposts enough. You know, if, if he comes up with a strong enough defamation or slander neo-fascist let's say then pretty much he can be excused for never interacting with them once and all uh, in any case in any in any way and it's funny is when he gets caught on this and called out then he starts fucking dick tucking hardcore and trying to create an opportunity for himself to get in front of joe just not in the way that is being offered so that he could get on there use joe's platform make money for himself who knows right like boost his own ability uh and, and debate joe or someone right so maybe someone he feels like he can he can he can dominate maybe in in a debate over you know these scientific subjects here or that even if 
Joe was to maybe out debate him, which also I have to say that by and large, just because you're good at debating doesn't mean you, you know what you say is legitimate. It's kind of like like the winner of a duel isn't necessarily the uh, the right man or isn't isn't proven correct in in their arguments. And, and there are people that are very smart, very, um, very on point about what they have to say, but they cannot live debate. They're just shitty at it. And and with that, you can get someone like a, like an Eric Dyson or someone like that who's just a fucking Reddit, 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 He's basically a, a rhetorist. He just, just nothing but sophistry the whole time and bullshit. And like, and then, oh yeah, well he 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 totally won that debate. He just he said a bunch of bullshit that sounded cool and got you to emotionally invest, but it didn't actually, you didn't actually cut down the argument itself. So there's plenty of people out there like that, more, more like that than less. Uh, but, or you could be a Slavo Zizek who just never actually addresses the thing itself and just fucking says what he feels like and goes all around it and whatever. And then eventually it's all over. And maybe he makes like one point and then moves past it. And then, Debate's over. There was no debate. He never debated. He just fucking played Jizik the whole time, <laughs> sniffing <laughs> and, and, and stroking his nose. Uh, anyways, uh, this whole thing just breaks down to it's just another little Weasley fucking media apparatchik who loves the power and the 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 protection afforded to them from their position within the uh, the, the overarching narratives that exist and the regimes around them. And then, he, you know, he doesn't want to actually, and then people keep adding more money to it. I think it's up to like $800,000 that people are saying they're willing to, to put in to don't, to have donated towards uh, Hotez's uh, charity of choice. For me, I like, you know, this is just, I, I, I only care for the most part because Joe's my buddy and I, I believe he's sincere. And, you know, I can't speak about any of these other people throwing their their hats in the, the arena and money, you know, like Tim Pool or who else. Like, are they actually going to fucking follow up? I won't vouch for them. I don't know them. But, you know, Hotez came out. He slung the arrows. Uh, but now he just wants to sit in the castle and say that, well, they all hit their target. And therefore, I don't have to I don't have to bother going going to battle over my ideas anymore. It's like, OK, I don't think that's the way anything was ever uh crafted in the world of science or otherwise but no there you go joe's got the biggest platform in the world because i feel like he's about transparency he wants to find out the truth like, yeah if, well if, you, you you touched on something and someone else pulled a pulled a fucking and it wasn't even an old one it was just it was all within these thread the, this most recent threads with hotez on his own timeline of him saying responding to some to someone who is a pro Hotez person cheering him on saying, Oh, well, you know, I, I work so hard to try and find as many ways to spread the message and to be able to talk about these things because I care about them so much. And it's so important that I get the word out there. So on and so forth. You get my drift. And then someone's like, click what the fuck then? Why won't you go on the biggest fucking podcast in the world to spread your message? Silence. Yeah, it's just bullshit. It's bullshit because that's not it. People are more concerned about losing their position, whether they've earned it or not, more so than they are about doing the best or right thing that they could do. And that's not just this guy. 
it's a lot of people. It's most people in the forward-facing aspect of what we see on television from politicians and otherwise. It's just, they're not any good. In fact, I would say that most people in levels of bureaucracy and government can't actually make, create, or fix anything. All they can do is manage things. They can push the papers along. They can do their, they can sit around in committee where somebody has already done all the work for them to write up all this fucking garbage. And then they just go and pass it off as their own. But if something's broken in it or it needs to be fixed, like the whole Flint, Michigan thing, right? The, the water all being <laughs> fucked up. What well, you, 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 we could, we could send billions of our equipment to a war so far away from us that is not on our shores and has no danger of being such, but we cannot fix water in one of our own cities with our own citizenry. Water. What is more necessary other than air? Right? It's like one of the, it's the big three. Water, air, and food. You can't, you can't handle that, but you can send state-of-the-art manned uh, guided anti-tank missiles Come on, fuckface. This is bullshit. You know what I mean? It's just, oh, well, we got to fill the forms. We got to. No, you got to put water in the people's hands. And then you got to go and see what the system is. And then you got to come to the governor and the mayor and the people in charge of all this shit and be like, you're fucked. Is this your fault? If it is, you're fucked. I'm putting you in prison because you're that fucking. Because your job is about the overseeing of the systems and the people involved so that it works and so that it actually delivers on what it's supposed to that the taxes pay to support these things so that people can live and be able to go about their lives and raise their families and have their communities and be a part of this and and you know not be fucking stricken by some poisonous fucking garbage water or having to completely up and leave their place if there was something you could have done about it. And if there was, and you didn't, that's on you. Can you imagine if there's a transparency in the world to uh, actually make that happen? Like, No, I cannot. Well, you know, it's not something you could ever expect. Like there's, only, there's never going to be full transparency because to some degree, I don't know that we're capable of dealing with that. Depends on the type of governments we have. And to expect every individual actor to understand what any piece of governmental bureaucracy or system and what it needs to do and how it needs to do it. I mean, I, I just, people got too much shit on, the, on their hand, plates already, man. It's, it's, it's enough to deal with the modern world as it exists to be able to have enough time to go and learn jujitsu in the first place and to go and compete and to be there with your friends and to take care of your family and to take care of your, your extended family and friends and to, to have a successful career and to be good enough at that to continue that on enough so that you can actually afford to keep doing the jujitsu lessons so that maybe at some point you might even transition out of what you were doing to to run in you know caveman fucking jujitsu podcast and academy with i'm uh, working on that man i'm working i still gotta work the regular full-time job big wooden but big wooden bonker clubs and your own <laughs> You know, ceremonial dildos. <laughs> that's what I should make. Ceremonial dildo clubs. And ceremonial. So that, that they're only for a special occasion. That's what's <laughs> Not your everyday use. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, I, I at the very least, I, I think it would be 
minimally sensible to uh, uh, put things like any any criminal infraction committed while in office uh, garners like triple the penalty, you know, at least something like that. It's a uh, you know the the level of with the level of responsibility comes also the level of accountability, which also you know comes with the same. It also should come with the territory of when you if you if you betray that, then you need to suffer. This is like everything that's in power. Like the church has to protect the the priests are bad touching kids. Like the politicians mm-hmm. got the Democrats got to protect the Democrats. Republicans got to protect protect the Republicans. It's, it's just people. It's our it's our nature. We have to find a way to to beat nature. That's a very difficult thing. Well, to do. Yeah, I mean that that's true. Yeah, we have that, that's that's a big part of it, and that goes very deep and very broad. I know we're running out of time, but I got a couple of questions myself that I I have to ask before we got here. How does it work on? Oh, Mac- by the way, that the time thing is mostly my fucking fault because I don't shut the fuck up. So I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> No, I no, mean, Ray no. over here, he's the one who hit me up, and he ain't said fucking word one. <laughs> I got a question for you, though. Uh, well, hold on. When you got, uh, well, I got I got to get I got a game man's question first, and then we'll, we'll okay. go to you, Ray. What's up? What, what was it like training or rolling with Matt Hume? Yeah, what was it like just training with him? Like he's It was like, awesome. I mean, he's yeah. a huge part of the foundation of who I am as a, as a fighter, and I, I, I will say that we – our personalities and I think the way that we are and the way that we we approach fighting uh like it just meshed like we are of a similar spirit in the way that we look at things we're not the same but uh who I am and who he is it just it worked well together and there was a a good mix of old school hardcore toughness OG like fucking nasty knuckle knuckle breaking bleeding beat up battered kind of hardcore training but also with a lot of highly technical um very very uh uh specific things geared towards um that proper understanding that technical understanding and then working from those things to find all those little weaknesses and gaps and also find all the reasons why the things that were strong are strong. Well, well, your strong suits are, why are they that? Why is that the case? Why can't we make them stronger? And if, and if maybe this thing is strong, can this be used to make other things stronger? So it's about that breaking down to its smallest bit and then constantly rebuilding up or building onto in addition, um, you know, he's the wizard for a reason. And when I left AMC, it was really tough for me to think of anyone that I could train with that was going to be able to coach me in a way that would really elevate my game in the same way that Matt could. And that's how I ended up with Eric Paulson. That's awesome. Okay. I trained with Ajahn Chai, who's like a big proponent mm-hmm. of Eric Paulson. So, like, I've trained with him in seminars, not like mm-hmm. I don't know him personally, obviously, but yeah. it's, uh, it's a great man there's so much respect for you from everybody that that talks about you so it, it's super cool to actually have you on the podcast and i don't mean to keep talking over ray ray go ahead <laughs> all right josh out of all the fights you had mma fights you had um any fight pissed you off like you would would you have a rematch right now do you want a rematch for anybody you fought yeah uh noguera uh because i felt like it was a bullshit decision uh, in the second match, I don't think he won it, and I think it was garbage. I think it was because 
I think Pride wanted to see a third. They wanted the rubber match. And I don't think that Pride, like, fixed it or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. I just think that was maybe the bias on the judges leaning in. Like, I, I felt like maybe there's a consideration for that. And at, I think there were some times where people in Pride still saw me as not a Pride guy, but as a UFC guy. And it's like, I mean, I fought more here than I did there. So which is it, you know? Um, uh, so therefore they're, you know, a bit biased against me that way. So there, yeah, that one, um, I would fight, even though he's my buddy, Mirko, just cause I never got to fight him at, when I was, uh, when I was fully healthy, you know, I had a labrum tear apparently and fucking tore my shoulder out in the first one and came back way too soon to try and be getting back in the ring and went to a decision and then, and then fought him at the end of the, uh, the one night of the open weight Grand Prix after fighting Noguera, the full uh, you know, 10 minutes and five minutes before that and a, and a really deep battle. And even then, you know, I, man, it was hell on me. I was having a, it was, a, it was quite the uphill challenge, but I scooped his leg after getting, I was getting battered underneath and trying to look into, to roll up and invert and catch, get a leg catch and go to work. And he inadvertently was trying to just posture away and, and and keep me from getting into his leg. And he just accidentally fucking like two knuckles deep in the eye. And I tapped because I had seen guys taking eye pokes it not get registered and then getting soccer kicked when they're blind. So I was just like, oh, shit, I can't let that happen. Then I go and I see the video afterwards. Miracle's like, oh, shit. <laughs> and the ref's like, ah, okay. And I'm tapping. I'm like, well, well, whatever, you know. It is. It is what it is. And I you know what? Uh, add uh, Ed Cormier onto that too. You know, if I hadn't broke my hand that first 20, 23 seconds, man, I don't. Cormier might I, smash I, you now. He's so he's so round. I don't know if he could lock your hand <laughs> right now. Uh, you know, I, I DC is an Olympian, uh, <laughs> and I think that people. I don't care how much fucking Popeyes he's eating. Uh, <laughs> guys that go through an Olympic Olympic training cycles or Olymp world international level uh, wrestling training cycles or sporting cycles of any sport, right? It could be speed skating, figure skating, gymnastics, like you name it, right? It's it is the pinnacle, and there are there are structures built around that to develop that athlete. In, in, in to create those athletes of that high level. And if one isn't going to make it, another one could, you know, it's, it's an incredible system and it produces incredibly tough as nails, great, greatly athletic individuals. And so I just think that, you know, as fat as he wants to get DC, <laughs> he's an athlete forever. And he's been an Olympic Olympic level athlete. He is, he is, the shit, you know, it is. It's just that's the way it is. Do you like his commentary? I think it's really good. A lot of people don't like it. I think it's. Uh, I like that he's gives his his take. Um, I don't. I can't really say that much. I don't really watch that many fights. Uh, I know he's quite passionate about uh, being behind the being behind the camera and on the mic, and. You know, I think if, if people really disliked it that much, I don't think he would be there. Uh, so he must be doing something right. And uh, I, 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 I would err towards faith in DC. He's a good dude. 
I love him to death. I come up, I wrestled my whole life, like since eighth grade. And like, dude, he's, he's something special. Uh, everyone is just like you said is, but he's, uh, he's something special. And well, I, you know, Hey, you know, even one of the reasons why I'd want to fight DC again is because, you know, I remember seeing, you know, wrestlers cheering for him. I'm like, Hey, fuck faces. I, I went to Fargo. I wrestled, I <laughs> placed in state multiple times and freestyle Greco and in high school. I, well, I got, I had an invitation to the high school national championships, but I thought like folk style who gives a fuck, you know, Fargo was all that mattered. Oh, I should have went. But anyways, you know, I got into wrestling late, but I, I've done nothing but train with wrestlers, work on wrestling. I uh, have been a part of many camps working with high school wrestlers. I've been a part of helping wrestlers like Tony Nelson uh, prep for international wrestling as well as other things. So, uh, you know, I am a wrestler. Uh, as well. My roots are wrestling. I'm a wrestler. This is also why I'm a catch wrestler because think about if you, the easiest way to describe catch to people is it's folk style wrestling with submissions because American folk style wrestling is completely derived from catch. When Lancashire wrestling ended up in the States, this is where the rule set came from. This is why we have folk style. And that we're the only country in the world that does it really. Everyone else is mm -hmm. freestyle Greco. Well, that's because fucking Britain doesn't wrestle anymore. I don't know. It's so weird. <laughs> uh, we got a question. This one might take a little bit from you. I know how you answer questions. This is from uh, one of our uh, uh, members, uh, Ed Rogers. He's like, is Dana White truly an SOB to work with? I hear some serious war stories. And I know he had a little bit of problems with UFC at times, too. Uh, we've had our battles. Uh and I'm not a person to back down. So I always had something to say when something was said. Uh, um, I think you don't want to get on his bad side. I think that things tend to run personal for him and personal will overtake business, which can, and he's got quite a lot of passion and emotion into his project here. So, or his, what he definitely considers his project. Um, so, <laughs> What? What are we laughing about? Is fighting? <laughs> uh, I'm not, no, that's trash. <laughs> but uh, so if he if, if he if he gets a personal issue with you, like it's you, you might as well not even be there. But uh, you know, I I'll say this much: I don't. I'm we get along just fine, but I fully expect not to be on anywhere near his good list and you do not see you know i remember i was walking down uh the steps at the pi and and, and look man he's i love what they're doing for victor henry they fucking take great care of him they've been good to me uh i don't there i could i can i can have criticisms and critiques but i i have no interest in trying to burn the ufc down not even just for my fighter's sake but just in general i just don't um but we're walking down the steps, the PI, and they've got all these like names and faces of Hall of Famers and shit. And our boxing coach is like, when are you going to get up there? I'm like, never. She's like, what do you mean? I go, fuck, man, they hate me in terms of that. Like they wouldn't, they don't want me associated with anything to do with them. And, uh, uh, you know, they've never wanted my voice to be associated with the UFC. So when opportunities for, 
commentary and or like stuff having to do with the television side of things, ESPN or others. My name is, I, I had been approached by producers and, uh, you know, the backstage, but at some point there's someone somewhere that said, there ain't no fucking way Josh Brennan ain't getting anywhere near what we do. So, you know, but if they don't think I'm, but at the same time, if they don't think I'm a fit for what they want, I'm not here to tell them that they have to use me or that, you know, fuck them. You know, I, well, I could think fuck them from a, from a personal perspective, but you know, it's their, it's their business. It's their thing. If I didn't think even without any personal animosity to someone, if I just, if I felt like someone wasn't the right fit for something I'm doing, Hey, look for blood sport. Someone could be a great person, but in my, my eyes and my mind, they don't belong here like it's just not going to work it's not what i'm looking for it's not what i'm trying to do it wouldn't go into what i'm trying to build here that's not because i hate them right it's just it's not i i know what i want my product my thing my 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 endeavor to look like and if if that's the way the ufc feels um then i totally don't begrudge them it just in, in that regard you know I can't, I can't be mad at them and yet also then have the same and, and maybe and, and do the same thing, do the very same thing that I would be mad at them for with my own. Yes, I'm in the Ariel Helwani club because <laughs> Helwani is a good friend of mine. Yes, Ariel is a buddy. I back Ariel. Um, I'm not saying so in like any regard to like, you know, fuck Dana White. I'm, you know, Ariel, I, I'm not, I'm not involved in any of that shit, but I stand up from up, but I, I do back my friends and I know that Ariel and Dana have, they got real heat and it's, it is what it is. It's not my heat, but yes, I'm a very much an Ariel Helwani guy. He's my buddy and I, I support my friends just like I support Joe. And, and, you know, look, Joe and Ariel had, well, it was mostly Ariel, but still there was like a little, a little, some Twitter, some online kind of, it's fine, you know, but I, I'm, I'm for friends, not for, for creating enemies, per se. Well, kind of his job is to make things to talk about, too. And he yeah. believes in what he says, and that, that makes people Yes. Talk. And Dana doesn't, he's not been the best with dealing with critique uh, and criticism. And, and even then with that, it's I think it's specific. You know, c- certain things might touch him off and other things not. You know, uh, sometimes maybe it's just that day or maybe it's the way it's been said. Or maybe he, if he feels like you have uh, any ul- ulterior motives, I can definitely play into it, too. I, I know what that's like. Seems a, a very hit or miss kind of guy. Like some days he'll like do something completely random and great for someone. And some days he's like, ah, what the fuck? And just burn the place down. Uh, he has... Um, uh, he has made m- more than a few people very wealthy. And I don't just mean by the UFC existing. I mean, he has been a part of, I'm not even saying he's the, the sole decision maker at times, but he has been a part of putting some very serious bonus checks in people's hands that are not from fight of the nights or things like that i mean this is actually part of a problem or was part of the reason why randy couture left the ufc because his contract amount was x they i'm not sure if noguera when he came in was given a better contract 
on paper, but but Randy found out that not on paper, he was getting substantial checks. And Randy was like, what the fuck? That just did it for him. He's like, uh-uh. But then there's also been people who had great contracts, but also had really great relationships that were also being given really, really, really generous checks. So he's done pretty big things for, for people that he considers his guys and his gals. And it was probably, and I could be wrong on this, but it was probably his idea of the idea to have people like Chuck and Matt Hughes as employees for life kind of thing. And, and, and Noguera, uh, who is still there, I believe as a scout or someone involved in the Brazilian UFC office. So, um, I mean, look, if you're Chuck Liddell, Dana White, well, he was his manager at one point, too. People don't remember that. He managed Dana, or Dana managed Chuck, and he managed Tito. Yep. Yeah, he started a whole thing and took him to Pride, all that. That was back in the day, the Pride versus UFC. That was, man, those were so exciting days back when there was two two organizations Mm -hmm. that were the same. How's Scott Coker to work with? Pretty easy. Very affable. You know, you're not going to get him. He, he's he's not anything like Dana in a personality way. Like, uh, if, if Scott had a problem, I mean, Scott has problems with people. Don't get me wrong. It's not like he's just like, oh, you know, everything, water off a duck's back. Like, anybody could do, nobody could do wrong. Oh, yeah, there are people that Scott's like, yeah, fuck that guy. But his just, his approach is completely different. You know, he just, he handles things in a, in a completely different way. Um, Whereas Dana will come out, he will, he will, he will find a camera to tell you how much he wants to see that guy <laughs> fuck himself. And Coker, he would never, if you even hear him swear ever on camera, it would be, I'd be shocked. Wow, that's pretty cool. We got our, our boy Pat next. We got to give a shout out to him, Western New York's own. Uh, love him to death. Just won that million dollar tournament in Bellator. So every time we get someone really cool, like oh you Patchy, nah, he's yeah. tough as shit, man. He yeah. is tough. You know, the one thing I didn't expect, he's going to win by knockout of all things. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's wild. That's wild. I expected it to be a, a grappling thing. Boy, caught him. Good good yeah. work. He been, he's been working hard on stand-up. Like, he never shows it. And it's crazy he's standing southpaw because he's right-handed. So, like, obviously it helps his wrestling and his takedowns. There you go. Uh, yeah. uh, one of my athletes from a while back, Megumi Fuji, she – was a judoka sambo and she came from a grappling background she did everything right foot forward and then she started i convinced her and a couple uh, another guy can really pushed on her to get into mma finally she's like okay I'll, I'll, I'll do it and uh to begin with she starts off you know she's right-handed fighting out of a orthodox stance with uh left foot forward but i i get a hold of her and i'm like you know, no, we're not doing this. We're going to go back to your, to your standard wrestling stance, the stance that you've been doing almost the entirety of your life. And we will teach you since you have no idea what it is to be a fucking striker. I will teach you to strike from this stance where you already do all the things you're already the best at. And just makes sense. So if I have a, if I was to work with a wrestler, uh, and they wrestled a right-handed and wrestled with a right lead, you know, southpaw. I'm going to teach them how to be a striker out of a southpaw. I'm not going to diminish or weaken the thing that they're already the best at in their repertoire, so that they can be mediocre in everything. 
Like, fuck that, you know. Just It's much easier for me to teach someone who's never boxed before to just box out of any stance I give them. It's all the same. Well, who fucking cares? You've never thrown a punch, idiot. So come here, you know. Forget all that stuff about what stance you got to be in. So if I'm if I'm patching mixes, coach, I'm going to do the same thing. And if he doesn't have to show a stand-up, how the fuck am I going to do it? Keep putting you into the waters that I like to swim in and drown you. And the days that uh, comes where we got to get up on the beach, I knee you in the face. <laughs> you know? <laughs> He's so much bigger than Pettis. That's going to be another great match, too. So uh, who's he fighting time. coming up? Uh, so who's Pettis next? For, oh, uh, yeah. Unified Boy, belt. Pettis is so slick. He is so – he's got great timing. It's going to be tough. But yeah. uh, if – and he's always – both the Pettis bros are way better grapplers than ever – Everybody always thinks about their striking, but damn, if they don't keep fucking triangling people, right? Yeah, I, I would, uh, I would send him a thousand dollars if he triangles Pat Mix. I, uh, I don't see him getting submitted. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on winning by triangle against Pat Mix either. <laughs> but you know, it's MMA. Weird <laughs> shit happens. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for your time. I know you. Thank uh, you, Josh. We didn't talk about your beer at all. Your your beer launches. Oh Friday. yeah, my uh, well, we we've been out. Uh, we got some distribution on it here locally in Southern California, mainly in the LA area. It's called Black Blood of the Earth. It is a yes, it's a reference to Big Trouble in Little China, but it is a really dark barley wine. Barley wine uh, at eleven and a half percent. It was aged in our ex bourbon barrels. Uh, and it's got a, a, a really, really, really great palate, nice, deep, full, full flavor, very smooth. Uh, but it, it's not like one of those dark beers. If you drink them, it feels like you just had a meal. It's, it's lighter than that, but it, it's still like a very deep, rich taste. I like to refer to it as Stygian, but, uh, we're going to do a cool little party at, uh, Knucklehead on Melrose Avenue in Hollywood. Uh, there's a concert there with, um, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the first band that night, which is uh, Dread Phase. And then we got New Skeletal Faces, who I tend to describe as like Bathory meets Bauhaus, and uh, Persecutor, who are uh, define themselves as Romanian ice metal. <laughs> Whatever that exactly is. But uh, we're going to all get together. We're going to fucking, we're going to headbang. We're going to mosh. We're going to get wild. And I'm going to get everybody drunk as shit on 11.5% barley wine and let the fist fights commence. It's going to be a great time. Uh, me and my buddy Eddie from Rock and Roll Beer Guy Podcast, we're doing it. And uh, we're just going to be having a great time kicking it with these great bands, listening to great tunes, and, and seeing some great people out there doing meet and greet, selling beer. That sounds nice. amazing. It's better than Canadian beer. Way higher percentage. That's great. <laughs> Way higher percentage. This is not Molson's. This is, this is a whole different animal. Although I do like Yingling quite a bit. Also, oh. oldest American, oldest American brewery. I got you and my wife would love to hang out. She's all about the, all about <laughs> the, the weirdest. All about the beers. <laughs> you and my wife should hang out. No, 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 not like that. Not like that. <laughs> I'm not no weirdo like that. I'm not like right. you know, you can hook us up with some drinks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Damn, we want to keep you father free on Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I have a fiance, so it's not hopefully in the in the 
too far future. Oh well, well, good luck, man. Hopefully, uh, yeah. hopefully it works out. Yeah, uh, me too. Child support's expensive, so make sure it's the right one. I'm just saying. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Unless you're Uncle Hinach, then you just got to have good running shoes. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for your time, man. I Thank appreciate you. Josh. you. Uh, I've been a fan of you since like I started watching MMA. Um, youngest, youngest champ to the oldest like guy fighting around. So like you're you're battling with these young guys. You're in my age group. Like it's crazy to see. You're an amazing athlete. Well, you know, you learn how to cheat a lot smoother and better as you get older. <laughs> I'm not reaching through his gloves, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Good talking to you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Take care. Josh Barnett. Very good, Ray. That was I can't believe he actually showed up. Yeah. Man, it was a long drive, but I made it. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I can't believe you actually got Josh Barnett. That's so crazy. Yeah. yeah. All gonna... right. Thank you guys all for watching. Uh, this is uh, Jeff from Ray. We're about to be out of here. Well, this is our longest podcast of all time. Uh, thanks, Mr. Barnett. He's uh, a great talker. And yeah. uh, this is way better than the Coleman one uh, that we only posted like an hour of when uh, he was pretty <laughs> hammered. It was like six hours long. But um, thank you for getting this guest. I've got to thank Josh Barnett for being on the show one more time. Yeah. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Have a great night, guys. <laughs>